Being seated this morning, would you grab your copy of God's Word, and would you open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. So uh, towards the end of last year, we began a series in the book of Proverbs looking at what does it mean to be wise in this world of foolishness? What does it look like to walk wisely in God's world? And so we're looking at the, the beginning section of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 to 9, which is about what are the principles we need? What are the pillars we need to build a life of wisdom? This is going to be our last sermon in that beginning section. Then next week we'll start looking at some of the principles and practices in the various areas of life from Proverbs 10 to 31, kind of some of those um, proverbial wisdom sayings that are scattered throughout those sections. And so we're going to be in Proverbs 8 and 9 this morning. So it's a big section, so I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, but we're going to look at kind of two of the main figures that are introduced to us in Proverbs 8 and 9. So I'm going to uh, read starting in chapter uh, 8, verses 1 to 6, and then I'll let you know kind of where I'm jumping around in Proverbs 8 and 9. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. So starting in Proverbs 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And I'm going to jump down to verse 30 to the end of the chapter there. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. I'm going to jump down to chapter 9, verse 13 to 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her gates are in the depths of Sheol. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his blessing on it. Lord, we ask this morning that as we come to your word, Lord, that you would help us to listen, hear, and learn. Lord, that we would mark and read and observe and absorb your word so that it would dwell in us and that we would grow in wisdom. Lord, continue to make us wise. You are the fountain of wisdom, so we come to you, Lord, asking for what we lack. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father entered hell, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces, but all has been occupied by noise. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We've already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit, we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. That's not a good quote, okay? It's a quote from 
the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. And usually when you quote from screw tape, you have to start with an introduction, explain what's going on. But I thought for effect, I would do it after I read the quote. Screw tape letters is a book that is written from the perspective of a senior demon who is training a younger demon apprentice in the art and craft of spiritual warfare and temptation. And we're meant to read that book with our minds thinking about spiritual warfare that we're engaged in as if we've intercepted correspondence from the enemy. We've, we've kind of stolen some of their secrets and we've unveiled intel and their tactics. And one of those pieces of intel that Lewis gives us is that the objective of the enemy is to fill the world, including our life and all of our time and space with noise. And by noise, he means a constant stream of nonsense and foolishness and amusement that distracts us and keeps us from enjoying either true beauty, which is represented by music, good music, so that excludes country music. <laughs> I know there's country fans here, sorry. That wasn't in the minute, okay. To distract us from true beauty, which is represented by music, or the opposite good, which is enjoying the gift of silence, which is represented, representative of the time and space to think and contemplate and learn and assess and evaluate, to ponder the big questions and seek to answer the big questions of life. That was written by Lewis in 1942. And I think we would all agree that in the 80 plus years since that quote was written, even greater strides have been made to fill the world with noise. And noise that often drowns out the true beauty that we're to see in this world that God has made and the space to be silent, to contemplate and think. And the reason I bring up that quote and that point is because the section we're gonna look at in Proverbs 8 and 9 is about the need to hear and listen, specifically to listen to Lady Wisdom, the voice of wisdom in a world that is filled with so many competing voices that vie for our attention and our time. And all of those competing voices are competing with wisdom in that they're trying to drown out and shout down wisdom so that we would remain in a constant stream of nonsense and foolishness and amusement, avoiding beauty and silence. Or stated another way, Proverbs 8 and 9 teaches us that in a world filled with so much noise, we need to learn how to tune out the voices of folly and tune into the wisdom of God so that we can grow in wisdom. And the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a test. We're going to take the wisdom hearing test. And the reason we're going to do that is because, as I read in the scripture passage, Proverbs 8 begins and ends with wisdom earnestly calling to us, diligently seeking our attention. And the only commands that are given in the chapter are the commands for us to hear, listen, and learn. So if you look at verses one to three again, wisdom is earnestly seeking our attention. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroad, she takes her stand. Besides the gate in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. So picture here is, the young man that the father's training is about to enter into life in the city, as it were. And right at the gate is Lady Wisdom calling for his attention, saying, you, you need to listen to me if you're going to enter into that city and live well in God's world. And what Solomon is doing here is he's taking that virtue of wisdom, that, that attribute of God, and personifying it. So he personifies wisdom as Lady Wisdom. But he also does this 
with another vice. Look at Proverbs 9, 13 to 15 again. So he does, he personifies wisdom, lady wisdom, but he personifies folly as well. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. So what you have in these two chapters is kind of set side by side with one another is wisdom and folly being personified as pursuing and earnestly seeking our attention. So Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are calling for you to listen to them. And the reason this is done is, on the one hand, in the original language, both wisdom and folly are are feminine nouns. So you think of, uh, in the Greek, the, the name Sophia. It's a feminine name. It means wisdom. And so what the author is doing is kind of taking that play on words and personifying it so that we could not only hear these words, but kind of picture what's going on here. We could use our imaginations. And he's doing this because, remember that Proverbs is written in the format of a father teaching his son what he needs to know to live life well. So he's training his young son who he's gonna send out and launch into life with all the variety and complexity that's gonna face him. And he wants to give him wisdom. And so to do that, he wants his son to know that when you go out there, there are going to be conflicting, competing voices. And so he represents them as Lady Wisdom calling for his attention and Lady Folly. And so another way you could picture this is he's preparing his son to be married to the right person. He wants to prepare his son for the right suitor. He said, there's this one lady, Lady Wisdom, and all of her attributes, all of her characters, all of her quality are beautiful and good and true and right. Listen to her, marry her, propose to her, do what you can to make her your lifelong companion. But let me warn you, son, there's another lady out there who's seeking your attention. She's seductive. She's appealing. She's appetizing. And yet, stay far from her. Do not go to her house. When you see other people going there, do not go that way. It leads to death. So that's the picture we're to have in our mind as we read this passage as wisdom and folly are personified as these two different ladies. So listen to the command that Lady Wisdom gives in verse 6. She says this, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And then at the end of the chapter, 32 and 33, that is echoed again at the close of our passage. And now, sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. And with that call and that appeal, at the end of chapter eight, verse 35 and 36, there's a promise and a warning given to whether we will listen or will reject listening. For whoever finds me, verse 35, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And at the very end of chapter nine, as Lady Folly's introduced, he mentions that those who go to her, what they really go to is they go to the grave. They go to their own death. And so the contrast here is between the promise of life and the warning of death. What Psalm is telling us is that hearing the wisdom of God Going after wisdom, growing in wisdom, is not a matter of just getting some extra credit points in life. It's not just a matter of life will go better for you if, okay? That's part of it. But what is really at stake when it comes to the wisdom of God and hearing it and growing in it is life and death, spiritual life and spiritual death ultimately. And to some degrees, even practically, Proverbs is a very practical book that it is somewhat of a life and death matter. You see people who do foolish things 
all the time, not thinking of the consequences of those actions, and it has drastic consequences at times. And so there's a practical dimension to what he's saying here, but ultimately he's thinking of life in the fullest sense of the word. It is a life and death matter to hear the wisdom of God. So we're going to take a hearing, a wisdom hearing test. And the idea I had for this is when, when, a, when a child is born, when a newborn is born, one of the first things the doctors do is they come into the room and they do a hearing test on the infant. And so they put this soft earphone up to one of their ears and it emits this, this little sound that what it's doing is testing. It's sending out these signals and it's testing how healthily developed the inner ear of that child is. And they'll know it's healthily developed because an echo-like response will be emitted from the inner ear and the earphone will pick it up. And so they'll know, all right, things are good. It's working fine. But if there's not this echo-like response, they have to do further testing to find out, is something developmentally wrong? Do we need to do any surgical interventions or anything like that? Well, since the main call of this passage is to hear and listen to wisdom, I want to run us through a wisdom hearing test. So here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask some questions related to the practices of wisdom, some of which we've looked at, some of which we will look at in depth later. And in asking these questions, I want to see if there's any echo-like response of wisdom in your own life. So this will help us know how well we listen to wisdom and where we may need to grow as regards wisdom. So first question of the wisdom hearing test. When you have a decision before you, or you're thinking of taking some form of action, usually you know, pretty serious, pretty consequential, how promptly and how persistently do you submit that matter to the Lord in prayer? When you have a big decision, how promptly and persistently do you submit that matter to the Lord in prayer or go to his word for guidance? And the reason I ask that question first is because where does wisdom start? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that reverence and respect for the Lord that acknowledges him as the fountain and supreme source of wisdom. That is where wisdom begins. And one of the main expressions of the fear of the Lord is a prayerful dependence on the Lord for wisdom. So that's question one of the wisdom hearing test. Now question two, and it's related. When you have a decision before you or are thinking of taking some form of action, how readily do you seek out and welcome the counsel of others? So, Go to the Lord, but then also, do you seek out and welcome the counsel of others? And the reason I ask this question second is because, yes, wisdom starts with going vertical, but there's a horizontal dimension to it as well. God, who is the source of wisdom, has designed that often his wisdom comes to us through other people, through other counselors, through other input sources. So listen to Proverbs 11:14. 14. It says this, where there is no guidance, the people falls but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So throughout Proverbs, one of the primary marks of a fool is that they are their own advisor. And he who has himself for a client has a fool for an attorney. They listen only to themselves. And yet one of the marks of wisdom throughout Proverbs is a refusal to listen only to yourself, right? There are times where self-reflection, we can consult ourselves, yes, but One of the marks of wisdom is refusing to listen only to yourself and instead seeking and welcoming the input and counsel of others. Well, here's a third wisdom hearing test question. How well do you receive the unsolicited counsel and input of others? And the reason I ask this one is because there are times when we seek input from others 
And then there are times when it seeks us out. We weren't looking for it. We probably didn't think we really needed it. And then it just shows up on our doorstep. And sometimes in a not so nice tone of voice. So how do you greet these uninvited guests? Do you immediately dismiss them? Or do you humbly consider what's said, asking, is there something here that the Lord is trying to tell me and teach me? Look with me at Proverbs 9, 7 to 9. Jump there quickly. And notice the stark contrast regarding how one receives the counsel or words of others. So starting verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Now contrast that with what follows. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. On the road of wisdom and growing in wisdom, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is always your greatest ally. The fool marked by pride is one who stubbornly rejects all unsolicited counsel and correction from others. They won't receive it because they are convinced that they don't need it. They are wise in their own eyes. So they think there's no need for growth, so they won't receive anything that would help them grow. But a wise person is wise enough to know how much they don't know and is therefore receptive and open and teachable. Now, not all counsel is equal. Not all unsolicited counsel is equal. But a wise person is willing to chew the meat and spit out the bone, right? I remember uh, watching some interview with a, a famous college coach. I think it was Nick Saban. And he was asking him, in recruiting, what are some of the main things you're looking for as you interview these athletes? And you would think he would say, you know, talent, something like that. But that's not what he said. He said, coachability. I am looking for athletes. Of course, talent is in there. He didn't, he didn't recruit me for obvious reason. But he's looking in that talent. Is there coachability? Are they willing to be instructed, be coached, be corrected? I thought, you know, it's a very wise thing. And that has much relation to what we just read here. Are you willing to receive counsel and correction from others? Let me give you one final wisdom hearing test question. When was the last time you, as it were, took a good look in the mirror and said, I need to grow in this or that area and then intentionally pursued growth in that area? When was the last time you looked in the mirror and said, I need to grow in fill in the blank and intentionally pursued moving forward growth in that area? The reason I ask this question is because the wise person is not only wise enough to know what they don't know, they're also wise enough to know how much room there is for growth. The wise person has a certain level of holy dissatisfaction. And I love how John Newton captures this idea of holy dissatisfaction so well. He says this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So there's this, this perfect blend of a, a contentment and yet a dissatisfaction, a contentment with the grace of God and at a desire to grow and move forward and progress and mature. And here's why that's important. Another name for the fool in Proverbs, which we're going to study in the weeks ahead, is the sluggard or the sloth. The sluggard is someone who doesn't care, isn't motivated, and has all sorts of clever excuses to justify why they don't care and why they aren't motivated. And yet the wise are hungry. 
They're motivated. They take initiative. They desire to grow. So there's many more questions I could give you, but how did you do on this part of the wisdom hearing test? Now, my goal in administering that test was neither to puff you up nor to tear you down. So my apologies if that was the effect of the test. My intended goal was to help awaken and fan into flame a greater desire to be the kind of person who tunes out the voices of folly that fill this world and tunes in more carefully to the wisdom of God that is calling to us and seeking us and pursuing us. Being able to discern and detect the voice of Lady Folly echoing forth in this world is a skill that we always need to grow in. And conversely, our need for and ability to hear Lady Wisdom is something that we will never outgrow and we will never arrive at in this life. To flip the analogy, when it comes to the school of wisdom, you never graduate in this life. You are always enrolled in the school of wisdom. You always are called to be a diligent, industrious student in the school of wisdom. And part of growing in the school of wisdom is learning to tune out folly and tune into wisdom so you can grow, so you can hear the right voice, as it were. So I want to close by asking two practical questions. First, how can we better tune out the voice of Lady Folly, which is so noisy in this world? And then how can we better tune in to the voice of Lady Wisdom? When I used to work from home, I have an office space now, but when I work from home, a fellow pastor friend of mine who also worked from home highly recommended to me that I invest in a good pair of noise-canceling headphones. And if you've been to my house, you know why that was a worthy investment for me. And my initial thought was, can noise-canceling headphones be really that much better than just regular headphones? But given the volume in my home, I was willing to try anything at that point. And was I glad I did? Because the technology in these things is amazing. If you've ever flown on a plane and you've had these headphones with you, it's a whole different experience because they emit this anti-noise signal that is intended to cancel out external noise and isolate the noise of the audio in your headphones so that you can hear what you're intended to hear without all the interruptions from the outside. And so think of these points that I'm gonna give you as your way of investing in a good pair of spiritual noise-canceling headphones because there's so much external noise that hinders us from isolating the voices that we need to hear, the voice of wisdom that we ought to be hearing in this world. And so some of these uh, practical applications I want to give you is helping you block out and hone into the voice of wisdom. So how can we better tune out the noise of folly? Well, look at Proverbs 9, 13 to 15 again, and notice what characterizes lady folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She's ignorant. And yet she's prevalent. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. What the father is telling his son is that Lady Folly is loud. She gets a lot of airtime in a lot of places to promote her ungodly ideas and false pleasures. And I would argue that she is alive and well today and seems to be as loud as ever. So with that, I would commend these two practices to you. In your life, especially as you engage with media and entertainment, assess and evaluate all the amusement that you engage in. In other words, don't turn off your brain when you turn on your screens. And what I mean by that is the very word amusement gives us some insight into why engaging with media and entertainment and screens 
can sometimes be spiritually harmful. Now, I, I'm not trying to set up any legalistic standards. I think when it comes to media and entertainment, as Christians, we need to understand media and entertainment is not inherently sinful, it's not inherently good, and it's not inherently neutral, okay? It is always communicating some message, and we need to be evaluating it and assessing it. So the very word amusement is literally the word muse with the prefix awe affixed to it. So muse means to think, to ponder, to consider, to meditate. Well, anytime you add the word a to a word like that, it negates it. It means the opposite of it. So to be amused literally means to not think. Or in the old English, it meant to stare stupefied. Okay, so you, you picture, you, you see people with, with screens and literally their jaw is open. and <laughs> it's, it's a picture of what is actually happening in many ways. When you turn off your brain, when you turn on your screen, you're, you're being stupefied as, as if you're under an enchantment, as it were. So to be wise... We need to actively engage and evaluate and assess what we're consuming rather than just passively receiving all the media and information that we take in. So the Apostle Paul gives us this wisdom in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He said, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So don't turn off your brain when you turn on your screens. And one of the best ways to do that is just ask questions of what you're consuming. So for example, if you're watching something, what, ask yourself this, what messages and values and qualities are being promoted in this? How do they line up with what is true and good and lovely and beautiful? And just by assessing it, you're refusing to be a passive consumer and you're being an active engager in what you're consuming. Now next practical application, practice moderation in your amusement. This is nothing earth-shattering. This is nothing new. But part of wisdom is we need to be reminded constantly and regularly. The, the simple things are the things we need to be reminded of. Listen to Proverbs 25:16, which gives this counsel. If you find honey, eat only enough for yourself, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Okay? His point is not so much about honey as it is about moderation and temperance. Too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. And too much of a permissible thing can become a harmful thing. And so just as there's gluttony when it comes to food and overconsumption, there can be gluttony when it comes to content, to media, to screens, to information, news, whatever, entertainment. And so if we would be wise, if we would maintain a sober-minded walk in this world, we need to be careful not only what we watch, what we watch but how much we watch. Part of it is uh, kind of a, a diet regimen, as it were, so that we're... The, the main influence we have in this world, so there's this one sociologist who's saying, in the medieval times, Christianity was the major cultural influence at the time. Like, Christendom was this term because even if you weren't a Christian, you were influenced by it. There was Judeo-Christian ethics that were prevalent everywhere. But that has been replaced by the screen. The screen is the number one cultural influence in our world. It has more effect, more influence than politics, than schools, than churches, and even sometimes parents. And so in one sense, our, our, our careful attention needs to be given to what and how much. What and how much. Now, on the positive side, how can we better isolate and listen to the voice of wisdom? We want to fight on two fronts. We want to fight against and we want to fight for. So in Proverbs 8, one of the main things that the father teaches his son so that he would grow in wisdom, that he would listen to wisdom, is he lays out all the benefits all the accolades, the resume of wisdom 
And he says, in a sense, value and prioritize wisdom because it is more beneficial. It is more for your good than anything else this world offers to you. And so in one sense, we need to reorient our values. What do you value most? And the Father's saying, value wisdom above everything because it offers you more than whatever else this world would hold out to you. The reason that's important is because we tend to give our closest attention to spend our most time on that which we value most. And so where is wisdom in your value system? Look at Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. As he's giving the benefits of wisdom, he says, this is wisdom speaking, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels. And then jump down to verse 19. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Value wisdom above everything because it offers more than anything else this world offers. Another way to better listen to the voice of wisdom is surround yourself with wise counselors. So I already made this point in the wisdom hearing test, but it needs to be reiterated again. Oftentimes, when it comes to wisdom, we can be our own worst enemy. We can be isolated, kind of blocked off, listening only to ourselves. So many times when making financial decisions, life decisions, whatever decisions, we would gain so much benefit from bouncing off someone else, running it through other people, getting multiple sources of input. And we need to choose our counselors carefully because not all counselors are created equal. And so I often find it best to say, look at someone who maybe is stages of life beyond you where you say, I really respect them. If, if I could be like them when I grow up, that would be wonderful. That's a counselor for you right there. That's someone you want to lean into and bounce ideas off of. Or another brother and sister in Christ who you respect, who you know is taking life seriously. That's a good counselor to have. Another area where we can listen to the voice of wisdom and grow in wisdom is be one who is always learning from the school of experience. So in Proverbs, one of the things the father does with his son is he, as it were, takes him out into the world and he says, look at that. Look, look at the ant and notice how industrious and diligent it is to, to gather and to harvest. Or look at that lazy person who isn't harvesting and notice that they have nothing to eat when it finally comes time to reap. He's always making him a student of experience and observation in this world. Experience is one of the most helpful and benef- beneficial teachers if you will listen to her. So, for example, in my own life, there was times where I didn't listen to experience because I wanted my independence and my freedom. There was two times in my life where I came home to my parents, you know, groveling on my knees because I had less than a dollar in my bank account. You thought one time would be enough, but no, no, no. Experience is often a hard master and requires multiple lessons. And so it took me two lessons. And then after that point, I decided, you know, I'm going to ask for money earlier from my parents. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I decided that I am my own worst financial counselor. I need other financial counselors. So I'm, I need someone to help me with a budget. I need someone to help me think through these things. So experience taught me not to listen to myself. And there's often times where, you know, if you were to ask, you know, C.S. Lewis was a very wise person, so I, I love reading him. If you were to ask C.S. Lewis, you know, while he's alive, you know, what are you doing? Uh, he would say, I'm observing people. I'm watching people. He was an observer of human life and activity. He was always looking and learning and gleaning from what others were doing, both for good and for ill. So we need to learn from experience. Another way to hone into wisdom and grow in wisdom is have an insatiable appetite to learn. 
never graduate from the school of wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 19.20. Get all the advice and instruction you can so that you will be wise the rest of your life. We look at someone who's wise. Someone you look up to and you say, I, I really admire them and their maturity. I, I'm willing to bet that there's someone who is constantly learning, constantly studying. There's a, a craving, an initiative to, they don't know something, so they're going to dig into that and, and want to know more about that. So have an insatiable appetite to learn. And then the most important one. Listen to Proverbs 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise. In one sense, you cannot receive wisdom by osmosis, by just being near someone. But wisdom is contagious. And if this is true with other people, it is the most true of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who walk closely closely with Christ will become wise because wisdom is more than a virtue. It's more than an attribute. It is a person. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom of God who took on flesh and walked among us. So he who walks with Jesus will become wise. In our relationship with Jesus, when we are looking at him, when we're spending time in his word, when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we are connected to the most wise person who has ever lived, the perfect embodiment of the wisdom of God. When it comes to walking with Christ, I think of the story of, I think it's the sisters Mary and Martha in in Luke chapter 12, that one of them is busy going about doing other things and, and neglecting to sit at the feet of Jesus. And she gets mad because her sister isn't helping her do the, all the other things. And Jesus says, no, no, she has chosen the better portion. She has recognized that wisdom is here among her in her house and she has sat down and she is resting at the feet of wisdom, listening, gleaning, taking it in. So in, in many ways, what I preached on last week on the spiritual discipline of meditation That is one of the best ways to walk closely with Jesus, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you have knowledge and wisdom in your own life and to share with others. And to be near the body of Christ, who is the expression of Christ on earth, as it were, his people, is also a way to help us grow in wisdom because isolation, cutting ourselves off from others, makes us foolish. But to be near the Lord and his people is what helps us grow in wisdom. So if you would tune into the voice of wisdom, walk with the wise and become wise, especially walk closely with Christ. Let's pray.